0: God is a joyful God. A happy God. I want to invite everyone to open their Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3 as we continue our series in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 3 verses 14 to 21. Okay, health science has to be one of the most distrusted like areas of science today. Uh, Because, I mean, really, if you think about it, like, eggs at one point were like the devil's food, and now they're good for you again. Are they good or are they bad? Well, I guess it just depends on the day. Coffee was at one time seen as bad for you, but now you can read all about its benefits. But a few years ago, I saw a chart that was released by this news outlet that, that gathered together all of these studies done on different foods. And the chart was to show which foods the studies found to cause cancer, in which foods the studies found to prevent cancer. Okay, so the foods that cause cancer, wine, tomatoes, tea, milk, eggs, corn, coffee, butter, and beer. The foods that prevent cancer, wine, tomatoes, tea, milk, eggs, corn, coffee, butter, and beer. If there's one thing that I've learned from like health science and reading article upon article about different health, you know, things and foods and vitamins, it's that as far as eating goes, just don't overdo it. Like enjoy foods, right? But know that there's always too much of a good thing, which is really unfortunate because I love pizza and I could eat pizza three meals a day, seven days a week. Like honestly I could. And so it seems like being a human, like everything. In life, there can be too much of a good thing, so there can be too much exercise. You know, you can exercise too much. You can brush your teeth too much. You can get too much sunshine. You can wash your hands too much. You can get too much of a vitamin. And it's not just at the end of the day they end up losing their benefits. They end up harming you, right? If you brush your teeth too much, you end up just brushing the enamel away. They end up harming us, so the mantra goes, everything in moderation. Now, I want to be honest here. If someone gave me a choice between you can have pizza all day today or you cannot eat and pray all day, it would be hard for me to not choose eat pizza all day. That would be a hard thing for me to do. That's because if I'm really honest with myself, my prayers aren't always that exciting, They can become rote and and routine and, and rushed. Eating pizza can seem a lot more exciting than praying. In other words, I can be more inclined to feel like I can't get enough of my favorite food, but that I can get enough from praying. Lots of people pray. Christians pray non-christians pray people pray but what makes christian prayer uniquely christian it's not necessarily what we pray and i I would even argue it's not even just praying in jesus name no what makes christian prayer truly christian is that people who through christ seek the joy of their god there are lots of people who don't really believe in Jesus, who pray in Jesus' name. But what makes Christian prayer Christian is praying through Christ to seek the joy of their God. God is joyful. He is a happy God. We sing about the God creating the, the stars and the seas to sing. Isaiah tells us about how the fields and the hills will clap their hands. The trees of the fields will clap their hands. God is a clapping, joyful God. He is fullness in himself. And prayers are Christian when they flow from that joy to get more of that joy. Prayers are Christian when they flow from that joy in God to get more of that joy in God. Christian praying isn't about getting more things. It's about getting more of God. And the good news is that there's not too much that we can have. There's no such thing as too much of a good thing. The God of eternal fullness wants to fill us with all of his fullness forever and ever and ever. And it is ours by faith through Christ. So today what I want to do is I want to unpack this uniquely Christian praying. What does all of this mean? What is this uniquely Christian praying? I want to unpack what it means to seek God for all of the full and free joy that is ours in Him. So let's do that by turning to Ephesians 3 and let's read starting in verse 14. For this reason, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So right now, uh, Willa is in this really awesome phase where she imitates a lot of what we do. So uh, she'll clap her hands, right, or or she'll say bye, or she'll dance, you know, or she'll say uh uh-oh, and it's all really cute. But there's one word that we say over and over and over again that she just doesn't like to copy, and it's the word no. In fact, in our vernacular of the Covington household, no is probably like top ten on the most spoken list, and it seems like like we say no to Willow all the time, like all the time. Like I feel really bad, like, no, you can't play with this dog toys. No, you can't get in the dog bowls. No, you can't open that cabinet. No, you can't get in that cabinet. No, you can't play with these candles. No, you can't play with that glass. No, you can't do this. You can't get into that. And it's like, no, 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 no. I feel like we say it all the time. But one thing that I hope Willow will come to understand is that all of those no's don't come in a vacuum. In fact, we want no to be understood only in light of how much we already love her. That's what all all kids understand eventually, right? When they're parents themselves. And that's kind of what Paul is saying here. That first phrase he says, for this reason, is so important. And so what Paul is about to say only happens because of what he has already said. So what Paul gives us first is the grounds of our praying, the grounds of our praying for this reason. Paul says for this reason, and it's about everything he's already said for the past three chapters. Now remember, we've been through a lot already in these first three chapters. Chapter 1, we're immeasurably blessed in Christ. We were chosen before the creation of the world. We're adopted. We're forgiven. We're redeemed. We're sealed with the Spirit. Uh, we have access to all of Christ's power. We were once dead but brought to life by grace. How we were We Gentiles were once alienated from the people of God, but now have been brought near. And now how God has designed this gospel to be unstoppable, to reach Gentiles for his kingdom. And so Paul says, because all of this is already true, because all of this is already true of you, because this is who you already are, this is my prayer. And this is why, this is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. Paul has not told the Ephesians or us to do anything. He hasn't told anybody to do anything for three chapters now. But it is this passage that serves as the bridge between who we are already in Christ and what we are to do for Christ. Chapters 1 to 3, who you are in Christ. Now, what you are to do in Christ. And this passage is that bridge. In other words, what Paul is saying is this, don't ever misinterpret my commands and prohibitions by disconnecting them from the unshakable reality of what Christ has already accomplished for you. Don't ever separate these commands and these prohibitions about who you already are in Christ, about what Christ has already done for you. So the grounds for any praying that we do has, for, oh, sorry, let me say that again, The grounds for any praying we do is that our praying has no bearing on our justification before God. Any praying that we do in Christ, you are 100% totally, fully, finally, eternally justified before God. And any praying that you do doesn't add to that and it doesn't detract from it. Any obedience you do can't add into it, and no disobedience takes away from it. In Christ, you are in the right, declared righteous before God. Already blessed, already chosen, already forgiven, already kept, already alive, already redeemed, already God's people. And so one of the most beneficial things you can ever do while you pray is to remind yourself of who you already are in Christ because that's the grounds of your praying. One writer said, growth in the Christian life is the process of receiving Christ's it is finished into new and deeper parts of our being every day. Growth in the Christian life is the process of receiving Christ's declaration that it is finished into new and deeper parts of our being every day. How many times have you told yourself, it's finished? Do you see how that will transform your prayers? Before you ever go to this God to act for you, to do something for you, before you try to persuade him or convince him. It's already finished for you. And I don't mean just saying thank you for Jesus, but I mean realizing all over again and appropriating by faith Christ in you. This is true of me right now. I am forgiven. I am righteous. I am loved immeasurably. And this is the grounds for Christian praying. And even doing this, even reminding yourself of the gospel to pray this prayer doesn't add to your justification. That's what's so awesome about the gospel is reminding yourself of the gospel doesn't add to your standing in the gospel. But the gospel is the springboard for happy, thankful, faith-filled, joyful praying. It's the springboard. So along with the grounds of our praying, we can never lose sight of, secondly, the God of our praying. The God of our praying. Paul says something really interesting here. Uh, he says in, in verse 15, uh, so for this reason, uh because of who you already are in Christ, I bow my knees before the Father. Front well, before I go further, though, I bow my knees before the Father. So so just think about what, what Paul is saying right here. It's it's he doesn't say right okay christ will take your prayers and then he'll present them to the father like like when you go to the bank and they have those vacuum tubes you put your thing in and it goes into the vacuum tube and you're like i don't know where it goes or how it gets there but i think it gets there that kind of thing that's kind of how we view our prayers like okay send in prayers up hopefully they make it hopefully christ will deliver them in his vacuum tube no Being in Christ means we can go before the Father directly. Christ is our mediator, yes. But because he's our mediator, we can go directly to the Father. And Paul says something about the Father here in verse 15. He says, From whom every family in heaven on earth is named. That's a really interesting phrase. Now, naming in Scripture uh, is basically... Is is having dominion over something so the the preeminent example of this is Adam in the garden, and he names the animals He's exercising his dominion over creation by naming them uh, And that's what proverbs is all about is being able to name uh, Good and evil right and wrong. It's it's exercising dominion over creation Uh and and when I do want to say, though, you know, Adam does name Eve, but he doesn't name her to have dominion over her. The, his, the point of his naming her is to show that they share a dominion. They share a dominion. But anyway, so, so here what Paul means is for every family in heaven and on earth to be named from the Father means he has dominion and authority over them. He's the creator. And that's important because what Paul prays for Right. Paul's not just saying he's a creator. Let's move on. He's saying he's a creator. And this is why this is important. I pray, I bow my knees, verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. The God to whom all strength belongs wants his strength to be dispersed among his people. The God to whom all strength belongs wants his strength to be dispersed among his people. But here's the thing. God's gifts are never divorced from his person. So when we pray for strength, God doesn't zap you with strength. Okay, here's a little strength. Here's my pixie dust for your strength. You're strengthened through the spirit who dwells in you. God strengthens you. God gives more of himself. When God gives you strength, he gives you more of himself. When God gives you grace, he gives you more of himself. He gives you a spirit. Relationships um, are, in a sense, transactional, right? And what I mean is the more that you live with someone or the deeper you go into a relationship with someone, you leave an impact impact on them an imprint on their life and they leave an impact or imprint on you in fact the deeper that relationship goes the more the imprint shows up in your life and so in christ you already have a relationship with the spirit that's it you have a relationship with the spirit he dwells in you but the deeper that you commune with him the greater his imprint on your life will be And what does the Spirit want for you? What is this imprint that the Spirit wants for you? Verse 17, he wants to strengthen you, verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. It is is God the Spirit's eternally delightful duty to shine the light on God the Son. God the Spirit loves to shine the light on Christ. So do you see do you see what this means? Do you see what this means when you first believe in Christ, you don't move on from there. Paul is saying he you, we need more strength for Christ to dwell in our hearts in, in faith. The Christian life is one of deepening obedience because of deepening believing. The Christian life is one of deepening obedience because of deepening believing. Christ already dwells in you, but we need strength to comprehend this and appropriate it more and more and more. Guys, we don't move beyond the simple truth that through faith in Christ we are saved. That's where we are saved, and that's where we stay saved, and that's where we continue to be sanctified. So so this is the God of our praying. God the Father, to whom all power belongs, dispensing His power by giving us the Spirit so that our believing will grow stronger in God the Son. Desperately needy. Yet abundantly supplied. The God we pray to isn't a distant God, He is a personal God. Three persons in one God who operate in you that you may know who He is. When we pray, we pray to persons. There's one God, yeah, but three persons. When we tell Willa no, we want those no's to come in the context of a relationship of of love and trust. But when we tell her no, the, the goal isn't ultimately to teach her about obedience or what to do or not to do. That's not ultimately our goal, although, yeah, that's what we want. Our goal for Willa is to be happy and healthy. And to live a really awesome life. We want laughter. We want to hear her laugh more. We want to hear her sing more. We want to hear her dance more. So here, thirdly, what we see is the point of our praying. The point of our praying. Paul writes in the last part of verse 17, I pray all of this so that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints What is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. God wants his people to be filled. God wants to fill his people. James 1 4 says, let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Psalm 16, you have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. God wants to fill us with all of his fullness. There's no such thing as too much of a good thing here. There's only such thing as not enough. But how how does that happen? How do we come to be filled with the fullness of God? What does it mean? Does it mean like that our insides grow? Like you know, you think about our inner being. Like like my esophagus grows more and more so that the Spirit can dwell. Like right here, you know, like right where He can control everything. No, no. No, we're filled with the fullness of Christ by never failing to be in awe of Christ's love. How can we be filled with all the fullness of God? Never fail to be in awe of Christ's love. The passage that that Paul is praying right here is summed up like this, that we would have the ability in, in our inner being by the Spirit, that we would have the capacity, the, sh- the strength to know Christ's love more and more. Listen, when we're saved, we don't just automatically have this perfect knowledge of the love of Christ we have to grow in it we we need strength we need the strength to be able to comprehend the love of Christ and when we're saved we have only just begun to know the depth of Christ's love the Christian life is exploring the vastness of the breadth length height and depth of Christ's love and we need the capacity to understand it more. Uh, there was a really prolific theologian in the 1900s named Karl Barth. And he, he produced dozens, maybe hundreds of works, wrote millions of words, and when someone asked him to summarize the millions of words that he wrote, he, he replied, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Sounds really elementary to us. But Christian, never fail to be in awe of Christ's love. Never fail to be in awe of his love. The good news should always remain good to us. Sweet, good, wonderful news. And and don't miss what Paul says here, right? It's it's easy for us in our hyper-individualized American culture to take this home and just pray this for ourselves. You know, what does Paul say? He says that you may have strength to comprehend with who? All the saints. There's no such thing as an isolated Christian or as a do-it-yourself Christian. This comprehending and this awe only happens in the context of faithful believers gathering together to comprehend Christ's love together. This is the point of our praying. Finally, Paul shows the joy of our praying. The joy of our praying. As we grow deeper into this kind of praying, prayer moves from I have to to uh, I get to. I get to we get to commune with this eternal God God the Father God the Son and God the Spirit so that he can delightfully fill us with all of his fullness by helping us realize just how much he eternally loves us that's not a have to that's a get-to so Paul concludes here verse 20 now to him who is able to do far more abundantly Than what we ask or think according to the power at work within us to him be glory in the church and in christ jesus throughout all generations forever and ever amen i think as christians the struggle isn't to believe that god can do these things i think all of us can say yes god can do this but do we believe that god wants to When we pray, God, show me your love more, Do we? is it more of trying to convince him that he needs to do this? Or is it praying from, God, you want to do this, so do it. Jesus shows us what the Father is like in Matthew 7, verse 11. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more is your Father in heaven willing to give good things to those who ask him? how much more and have you ever thought about the fact that when you read prayers like this in scripture that God inspired these prayers God inspired these prayers for us so that we can pray these prayers back to God and we can pray these things and the thing is our imaginations are too small Our thinking is too small. We haven't even begun to imagine what God will do. C.S. Lewis wrote, If we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by an offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. Our desires are not too strong, but too weak. And, and these last few verses are, are a promise. What what Paul is doing is he's staking this prayer on the very character of God. So, in other words, for God not to answer this prayer is to go against his character. And I mean, this is his word, right? God's word is binding. Have you ever thought about when Christ is about to go to the cross and he would say, and he said to the, the soldiers that are arresting him, Do you not think that I could? I could command these angels to to come and rescue me, but what does he say? Scripture must be fulfilled. He will not break Scripture, not break His Word. God will not break His Word. And it's not as if God is constrained to answer this prayer, like, I guess I'll answer this. God is so intimately tied Himself to it that He delights to answer this prayer. And the result, the result is praise. The result is praise. And, and Paul writing here is, is not saying, to him be the glory in the church. No, Paul is saying, to him be the glory. Praise God. Hallelujah. Praise be to God. It results in praise. Like a, like in delighting over a juicy steak or a husband delighting over his wife. We are invited to delight over our God. And to say, hallelujah, praise you. This is the joy of our praying. The joy of our praying. Paul wants us to live right here in this passage. He wants us to live right here forever going deeper and deeper into the fullness of God that is already ours in Christ. Because everything we want is already ours in Christ. Charles Spurgeon wrote, Oh, there is, in contemplating Christ, a balm for every wound. In musing on the Father, there is a quietus for every grief. And in the influence of the Holy Ghost, there is a balsam for every sore. Would you lose your sorrow? Would you drown your cares, then go, plunge yourself in the Godhead's deepest sea, be lost in his immensity, and you shall come forth as from a couch of rest, refreshed and invigorated. So before we ever set out to do anything for Christ, we must go deeper into who we already are in Christ. And this is true only if you are in Christ. So you the question you must ask yourself is, am I truly saved? Am I truly born again? Am I truly trusting in this Christ, and this God? If my prayer, praying, is not uniquely Christian praying, then what does that mean about me? And God wants you to ask that question. Because He wants you to know the answer. And He wants you to find the answer in Christ. I forgot who said it, but I'll end this sermon with this quote. The gospel is not something to do, but someone to know whose grace is sufficient for you. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, Our imaginations and our faith are too small. Because we think that the effort is down to us, ultimately. That we have to convince you to forgive us. That we have to convince you to keep us. That we have to convince you to save us. That we have to convince you to show us grace when all the while you're showing us grace continually. When all the while we're not keeping ourselves, you're keeping us when all the while our seeking joy in You is You initiating that search in us. God, You know exactly what our hearts want. So God, we thank You that, that it is not we who start searching for You, but it is You who start searching for us. So Father, let our, our searching be transformed by Christ, by Your grace. May our praying be this praying that comes from the joy of already being found in You that we might go deeper and deeper into You forever and ever. Being filled with all of Your fullness. God, there is not a part of You that You withhold from us. You offer Your whole self to all of us. You offered Your very best to Christ. You hold nothing back from us, God. So let us not hold anything back from running to You plunging deeper and deeper into who you are because of your vast, immeasurable, immense wonder and grace and majesty. Yes, you are a God of joy. And in Christ, let's just by faith realize that more and more. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.